and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. We finally worked the bugs out of Hangout, and Devin and I are back. Hopefully. Uh, I think we have, uh, in- unless for some reason a signal pops up that says we've both been kicked out of Hangouts permanently yeah. yet again. I don't know that what was that was. That was not fun. That was strange. It was a weird, weird deal. But, uh... Uh, for the audio listeners, uh, that podcast may or may not ever get posted simply because it was a big flaming mess as we tr- struggled to figure <laughs> out what was going on. Uh, Devin, it's been a week. What have you been up to, man? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I've been trying to uh, remember everything I've been doing for the past year and put together a bit of a reel, work on that marketing, uh, You know, go out and meet people, try to be social. All that stuff that I hate. Oh, that's a lot of work, man. <laughs> Being social it is, a lot is of tough. <laughs> on my end, I just uh, finished up another set of edits. I've got a very happy Pomeranian here on my lap who is uh, continually pawing at me. But uh, uh, editing, I'm glad to finally be done. I did have to generate some proxies. And I want to put a complaint out there about a Premiere and uh, Adobe... Uh, their encoder, the new encoder has been giving me nothing but heartache. Uh, I had to actually switch back to the uh, CS6 encoder because normally what I do is if I generate a bunch of proxies for somebody, I will have a monitor folder and I will leave it running in the background and whatever folder I pointed at, it'll go through and create output files for me without issue. But for whatever reason, and I don't know what's going on, I, uh, encoder was going crazy for me uh, this week. It locked up my system, blue screen of death. It was uh, utilizing 98% of my memory and all of my CPU cores. It, it, it's just, it's insane. And I don't know what the heck is wow. going wrong with it. Uh, I contacted Adobe and they said I should just delete everything and clean install. And it's like, I don't have time for that. That's a mess. They're yeah. like, well, uh, install uh, CS6. And uh, what, are you, what are you trying to do? I'm like, well, I'm just trying to create H.264 versions uh, at 1080p of these. You know? And they're like, oh, well, mm-hmm. yeah, that should do it. And sure enough, you know, put it in CS6, no problem. It took a little bit longer, uh, less CUDA uh, uh, rendering. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it still, it worked. And I don't know what the heck is wrong. This is the third time that... Uh, uh, the 2015.3 update for Premiere and Adobe in general has, has caused me heartache and headache. So I don't know what's wrong with it. Uh, it seems like it's some sort of uh, GPU-bound issue, but uh, hard to say for sure. Devin, did you update? Have you had any problems yeah, with the latest absolutely. Uh, version? I've been editing on it uh, for the past three or four days, and I haven't had one issue with it. Um, then you. again, too. Like you said, it could be a CUDA thing. Do you have your new like 1080 cards or anything like that in there? No, I'm still I'm a little behind times. I'm I'm using a, a, a Titan X in this system, which if you guys look at the specs, uh, Titan X and the 1080 uh, GTX 1080 are pretty close uh, within like eight percent. Then my guess is that because I've also got a 680, which is kind of. Older uh, similar architecture. Uh, then my guess is that it's if, because I doubt it's a driver issue. Is it could be down to something they've done with the codec and the way that it reads um, the codec? Because what format are the before you go to proxy? What format are those files? I think they're still just H.264, 100 megabit. You know, they're GH4 files and Sony A7. Oh, okay, files, GH4 so. file. Yeah, that's that's really bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, and I'm sure they're going to tell you, hey, why don't you try formatting your whole computer? That should fix it. Yeah, you know, uh, can you can you operate the ONOFF switch, please? And uh, then let us know how everything turns out. It's like, get out of here. Leave me alone. Right. Your troubleshooting is not helping me at all, <laughs> you jerks. All right. Other than that, I think we've got a lot of news to cover. Uh, uh, Devin and I were just talking on Sunday about how there wasn't much out there, and then all of a sudden, all these cameras drop. So on that note, Devin, I think it's probably time for the news. Time for the news. First, the legendary, we've been waiting for camera of all time, the GH5. <laughs> we've rumored, we've speculated, we've made up stuff, we've guessed, and now we finally no longer have to guess, or at least uh, we can get a reasonable assumption of what's going on with this camera. Uh, basically, at Photokina, they showed off uh, some early uh, prototypes of the GH5. I don't know if early is the term, but uh, definitely they wouldn't let anybody touch it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the specs on this look pretty good, Devin. We're talking 
possibly the capability of 6K recording uh, off of a, what, 20 megapixel sensor? Is that correct? Um, yeah. And then um, we've got a new audio adapter style. So this one is uh, is on the top instead of in the handle, which it's more traditional using sort of a Sony-style interface on the hot shoe. You've probably been drooling over this. Run down the specs <laughs> for me, Devin, on the GH5. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, the real, the big thing that they wanted to splash with and then give no other details about was we're talking about, uh, being able to do 4k at 60 P, um, as well for people who want to do high frame rate 4k, which is kind of crazy, especially in this market, uh, which I'm guessing, I don't know what DJ's thoughts are, but I'm guessing they're going to drop this for 2000, maybe a little bit more, but I think around that price range. Um, the other part that they wanted to let people know about is that if you don't push for 60 frames a second in 4K and you go for 30 or 24 in 4K, you'll get that 10-bit 422 color space, which can be really useful if you're one of those guys that likes to shoot flat and you need that extra uh, color detail um, in order to shoot a flatter profile and correct and post and whatnot. So two things that like no other company has addressed, like a lot of companies aren't doing internal 10-bit. I mean, you need to like, think about fs5s or fs7s if you want to talk about 10-bit video um so obviously because of physical constraints it's not like panasonic's gonna go toe-to-toe with sony or canon um over low light capabilities this is kind of their way of like being like hey we're gonna hit higher frame rates than you will um and we're gonna try to get more color space uh so they're definitely standing out with that now, as DJ put, something about 6K, they aren't super specific about. It looks like there's going to be a 6K photo mode yeah, that's, is the best I can guess, like so a burst mode. The press release here, it says it also features 6K photo, and then there's an asterisk with a little extra note, which extracts approximately 18 megapixel still images from ultra-high-quality ultra video with approximately, and there's the key, with ultra-high-quality video with approximately nine times the pixel count of full HD, blah, 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 mm-hmm. on the market 2017. So with that statement, is that is that saying that you won't be able to actually record video at 6K, but you'll be able to do this weird video stills pull at 6k does that it, it they once again uh there is a lot of vague no one can really get a lot of details out of panasonic they're being very tight-lipped about this uh you know early 2017 release camera uh my guess is is that it's just going to be a burst mode of 6k that's able to do 30 frames a second unlike their traditional uh fast shutter speed which is probably going to be around what the gh4 is which is like i don't know 12 or 15 frames per second or something like that in a sport mode so looking so at I, the notes here devin i found it really quick uh 6k photo is a high speed burst shooting function that cuts a still image out of a 4.3 or 3.2 video footage with approximately 18 megapixels uh, that's a 6,000 by 3,000 effective pixel count uh that 6k image manages the new 6k photo is what they're called so it it does sound like it is shooting video just not in an aspect ratio that would be useful but it says burst which makes me think we're talking like a second or two seconds hmm so right because i don't know this is really cryptic i kind of want to know what the hell they're talking about (laughs) It, it could be what they're saying is while you're recording video uh you could trigger a 6k burst um so that because that's a a step above and it does sound like something i think panasonic would do uh because some people enjoy having the i'm going to shoot something at 4k and i'm going to take a picture while i'm in video mode that seems to be pretty popular with smartphones and uh, a few other types of cameras so i could see that happening here where they're like well we'll go one above that we'll let you shoot 6k photos while you're recording video in whatever mode you select um so, because like you said, the, the aspect ratio is off. I imagine they're kind of utilizing almost the full sensor there. Uh, but it could be part of the reason why they keep saying videos, because it can be done in video mode, allowing you to get those high-quality stills while recording a video. Well, a number of the listeners uh, chimed in when I was speculating about 6K that uh – the aspect ratio wouldn't quite work out uh, for a micro four-thirds sensor. 
And maybe that's the case right here. That's sort of what it seems like. Yeah, It'll be interesting I mean, to find out if that's, you know, how they're going to do that or what it's all about. The other thing these, is, oh, go ahead, Devin. <laughs> these, what, what I'm uh, really interested in is what's the format they're going to shoot here? Because we're still talking H.264. I imagine we're talking some high bit rates. I mean, if we're talking 4K 30, 10 bit, in order to make 10 bit useful, uh, you need to throw a lot of bits at it. And I don't necessarily, it, it could be possible that they're upgrading the 4K like we've talked about before. So instead of doing a uh, basic or baseline uh, version algorithm of H.264, they could be doing a mainline or a more advanced one so that they're making better use of the bitrate. Uh, but in any case, I, I imagine that if you want to shoot 4K at 60 or 4K 10 bit, uh, you might have to get those really fancy SanDisk cards that people throw in their uh, Black Magics for shooting ProRes and whatnot. Hmm. Now, one other thing that's uh, uh, noticeably missing from this, and I was hoping to see uh, right at the top, is image stabilization. Uh, Panasonic's been doing a great job with the 5-axis image stabilization, as well as their quote-unquote hybrid image stabilization, mm -hmm. which is you know in-lens plus the 5-axis in-camera. We saw that on the GX85, uh, I think even all the way down to the LX100, as well as the GX8. Uh, I don't see anything about image stabilization on this guy. Uh, do you think that's a compromise with the uh, amount that they're requiring from the sensor as as a, a reason to <laughs> like draw back that particular uh, piece of tech? Uh, no, I mean, I, I don't think that it'd be a physical requirement not to have that feature in the camera, um, except for maybe in the interest of cooling. It could be a thing where... Uh, running 4K at 60 is just too much, and it needs to have a big fat heat sink right on that sensor in order to keep it cool enough that you don't have a huge noise problem. Um, after all, they didn't say anything about low light, but I imagine that they're not going to make the low light worse than what we have seen in the GH4. Um, so I, I could kind of see that. What I'd like to see is an option to relocate uh, the XLR jack um, in terms of like what Sony has, where they have that extension. Um, and I would like to see as well, um, I, I don't know, I, I, people keep complaining about where this headphone jack is, like it's a serious flaw, like people are making videos about like, they're screwing it up again, the GH5 is going to have the same flaws, the GH4 and GH3, and, and I understand that... It, it is kind of annoying a, that your screen can't be moved when your headphone jack is in. Yeah, no, I... I totally get it, but at the same time, I don't consider that a deal breaker. Um, you're you're shooting with a tiny hybrid camera, and I don't expect everything to be perfect. Uh, if you want everything laid out like the best way possible, you need a bigger body. And um, there's like, I, I don't know, there's a bazillion other things that I would be upset about and say is a flaw before a headphone jack, like um, uh, possibly the ability to smoothly move between different ISOs. Uh, that's something that a lot of video cameras can do when you adjust their gain or you or ISO. Uh, they can do it smoothly, uh, where, of course, a DSLR thing like the GH4, GH5 is going to do it in hard stops. So, I mean, they're like, there's all these other little things, and I feel like everyone's taking this little nitpick and exploding on it. So, <laughs> uh, One last thing. So pricing, you mentioned you thought maybe $2,000 didn't sound... Uh, unreasonable for this. Yeah. I, I'm looking at this right now, and let's do a side-by-side. -side. So here is the new Canon XC15, and here is the audio-adapted uh, uh, GH5. Now, between these two, they look very, very similar in form factor and shape. Uh, all the features, and I'm glad you picked up on that heat sink thing. That's what I was hinting at when I was talking <laughs> about the, the motion there. Uh I'm gonna say without the he or you know without the audio interface, sixteen hundred again would be perfect, or maybe seventeen hundred, you know, sixteen ninety nine, and then a two thousand dollar mark with the accessory audio adapter. Does that sound reasonable to you? Yeah, I, I'd say that's probably the mark that they're gonna try to hit. Um, I wonder too if it's still gonna be compatible uh, with the old mounts. It looks like the old vertical grip is probably gonna be the same. And I would hope so, as well as that um, I imagine from the way that the old YAGH, whatever that thing is called, um, adapter would probably work on this as well, because uh, as long as some of the pinouts are the same, it's getting most of its data through the HDMI. 
And while I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's too big, requires external power and everything else, I still think that that, even though it's a bit niche, is a very good accessory to have in order to allow for SDI output without an adapter box and um, XLR inputs. If you know you need the SDI out anyways, you also get XLR in. So like, I, I think that there's a lot of use in that, and I would hate to see it just die after one revision. And seeing as how they've kept basically the same shape, I mean, I think the curves are a little bit different, but I think, DJ, you can like kind of confirm that uh, whatever box your GH4 will fit in, this GH5 will probably fit into the same cage. I hope roughly so. Roughly speaking. Uh, you know, the Veravon so cage, <laughs> I, I love that. I use it continually with my GH4, and I would love to just have something exactly like that for the GH5. Um, what's nice about this, and it's actually something I've kind of been enjoying with that. Remember the Ceremonic uh, XLR audio adapter I reviewed recently, yeah. the one that goes on the top? I, I'm getting back to that form factor. I love it. The the Sony A7S Mark II with that adapter on top, it's it's very handy. It's great. It's it's great to be there, and it's, it actually mirrors the way I used to have it set up with a juice link at the end of a handle on top of the camera. I'm really happy mm-hmm. they're doing this. I would still not be that excited about their uh, YIG or YAGH <laughs> adapter that they had previously. Because their I mean, monstrosity of an adapter. It's a cool. It's great that that Panasonic listened and people were really asking for this, but I don't think anybody realized what they were asking for or it wasn't re- realized the way we wanted. I always envisioned it as two batteries with um, XLR inputs on the bottom and maybe, you know, a couple SDI uh, input output, you know, whatever. Uh, but instead we have to use external power. And as soon as you go to that, that makes this whole camera, you know, a beast and hard to use and a pain in the butt. So I'm not really excited for that thing ever unless they reinvent it, do something nice with it. This audio feature on top is perfect. Getting uh, better color out of the camera itself, 422 at 10-bit. I mean, that's bringing this up to uh, its big brother competition almost. You know, yeah. as far as internal recording goes, now you don't really have to make that sacrifice or compromise, and you don't need an external recorder necessarily uh, to get away with just shooting with the GH5. Now, last thing before we move on, uh, this camera has never been a beast in low light. Do you think right. with the new... And I'm I'm guessing at this because I read Sony's sensor announcements, and they recently released the SYLX something or other sensor, and now it's using the backlight illumination as well as some other features to help enhance low-light performance. And we have sort of seen in the GX85 early reviews and still images uh, good low light performance down to 3200 ISO. And in the case of some of the uh, new Olympus cameras, even 6400 ISO, do you think we'll be able to enjoy those updates in the GH5? Um, or is that pushing to it? Me, well, to me, that's, that's hard without Panasonic because uh, the sensor, with um, them going with a different sensor and stuff like that, it's anyone's game. Like it could be a thing where this has worse low light than the GH4 does. Um, as tragic as that would be, that could be a very real possibility considering um, the 4K shooting and the new sensor and all that kind of stuff. Um, keep in mind too that you have a tiny package and you don't have a fan. Uh, some cameras in this. Um, oh man, is it mirrorless? I forget what. There's there's one or two cameras I came across now that actually um, or the GH4R. Doesn't that have a fan that kicks on? The GH4R? No, the, the GH4R is just the the version of the GH4 that's no. sold with the Kodak. The with, with the Kodak and the uh, unlimited recording, the American yeah, yeah. version or whatever, yeah. I, then, then it was another camera that has a fan that turns on. Are you um, thinking of the A6300, which uh, they're selling cages now that have a built-in fan to cool it because it gets so <laughs> hot it overheats? No, but that's that's typical Sony, right? They overheat like crazy. If there's a company that should put fans in their cameras, it would be them. Uh, but keep in mind that there's a lot of limitations on what you can do with a body this small and how much heat it's going to produce and not having active cooling because you want your weatherproofing and everything else. Um, so that's something else to consider. The reason why things like the C100, C300 have these crazy ISOs that are super low light is not necessarily because uh, they're not full frame cameras. It's because they have fans. And they have all this active cooling to help them uh, get uh, the least amount of noise in their image possible. So 
it's really a toss-up on how this sensor is going to perform in terms of low light. I'm sure it's obviously concern of Panasonic, uh, as with photography or anything, that I'm sure they're working on it. I doubt it would be any worse than the GH4, but at the same time, I'm really not expecting it to be that much better. Yeah, I hope so. Panasonic puts reliability above benchmarks and numbers, um, because I've never had any Panasonic camera I've used have stability problems where uh, shooting with things like uh, the Canon M series or the NX5 or the NX7 or a lot of Sony mirrorless cameras, tons of overheating issues all the time. Always have to stop recording, let it cool down, put fans on it and crap. We've done all kinds of stuff to try to keep those cameras cooled off. And I've never had that kind of issue with a Panasonic, even if I go out on a 90 degree day and start shooting all day. So uh, I just don't expect a lot more than what we've already got from it. And I imagine they would be advertising it if they did something that substantial. There's a couple quotes in the chat room right now. And, and yes, now, guys, the YouTube chat room is live. It actually does work, and I can see it. And uh, they're <laughs> saying that uh, they've a ne- uh, few people are saying that they've never had any problems with the A6300 overheating. Um, I can't personally attest to a long shoot, but I can tell you that uh, the test models that I got to play around with in Vegas got extremely warm in, you know, 10 to 12 minutes worth of rolling footage, uh, to the point where it was like a little uncomfortable to hold on to the camera. Uh, is that going to happen everywhere? Probably not. Uh, but Sony does hold their cameras together with uh, bubble glum and glue. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, keep that in mind. All right, moving on down the line here, we do have more Canon or more cameras to get through, and we've already 22 minutes into the show. Let's talk about this next Micro Four Thirds camera. This is the Yi, and it's YI. I, I, a number of you have corrected me. It's, it's Yi Action Cam company that's making the M1. This is basically a 20 megapixel Micro Four Thirds sensor with very little control on the body uh, but it does offer up full touchscreen support full phone support uh, 81 points of contrast detect autofocus uh, touchscreen navigation controls across the board five frames per second continuous shooting and the crazy thing about this guy is the price uh, they're expecting to sell this with two lenses for about 450 bucks and that means uh, the introduction of a 42.5 millimeter f1.8 lens as well as a 12 to 40 millimeter f3.5 to 5.6 lens and a 330 with a single lens those are some incredible prices for a micro four thirds body uh, even as an interchangeable uh ca- you know lens camera that's cheaper than many action cams Devin, yeah. what do you think about this weird <laughs> freaking camera it's you know what um the price is good i think that uh it would be a bad idea to buy it right now uh not that i think that it'll be a terrible camera but i think that probably in its current revision it's not great and i mean that's without any hands-on experience this is me just speculating here uh but just seeing as how they're i would say ye is kind of a little bit worse than black magic in terms of putting out a product that really needs some hardware revisions and they are responsible. They like come out with hardware revisions and software updates and firmware and everything else. And they work hard on their products, but I tend to see them trying to beat the market uh, by coming out with a half big product first and then fixing it afterwards. You think it's uh, half big though? I mean, really, if you think about what's going on here, they've sort of, they've sort of played around with the whole touchscreen interface on yeah. their previous cameras. They've gotten their mobile software and I can attest to this on the, uh, the 4k action cam. It, it's good. It's one of the best, uh, mobile apps and, and it picks up faster than anything else I've seen. And their, their interface is always being updated continually. There's been right. like 15 what, updates to the freaking, but, but this is a whole nother you think realm that, because you don't think they'll they, be able to just like port that stuff over to this. No, no, I don't. And the reason why is because now they have to work with other people's hardware. Um, as you've seen with your Z cam and other things, uh, lens compatibility, performance, focusing performance with different manufacturer lenses suddenly become an issue. Like, I don't know how much testing they've done. Maybe they've made a perfect product and this thing can focus in just a couple of milliseconds and everything's great on it. Uh, but I kind of feel like out of the box, it's probably not going to work amazing with every lens you put on it. And it may be a little slow and sluggish at doing a few things. I mean, you're right. They, they 
when they went to the 4K action cam, uh, they pretty much fixed every issue there was with their previous action camera, including the user experience, the software, the interface, and everything else. Um, but they open up a whole new can of worms when you say we're going to make Micro Four Thirds and be a part of this standard uh, because other companies that aren't in it as long as Panasonic or Olympus, uh, they sometimes struggle when they have to deal with all these different lenses coming from different people. So it could be perfect. I don't think it'll be perfect coming out of the gate, but I think over time they'll update it, they'll work on it, and it'll eventually probably be a killer deal. Uh, but, you know, nothing will say except for time. I would posit, and this is just uh, me thinking about, uh, you know, different companies in China making stuff uh, that they're at least uh, partially available access to uh, some of the firmware that was probably going into stuff like DJI's. Uh, uh, mirrorless camera and some of these other ones. In fact, the Z Cam, the one that I complained about, and I'm actually doing this podcast on right now, <laughs> is was one of the first companies to get out there and do this, and they stumbled a lot trying to to get started uh, to be the first to market. Now, uh, you know, DJI has done a really good job with this. I haven't heard a lot of complaints about the Osmo or, or any of the other mm-hmm. uh, the X5 or what have you, and the standard is open for micro four thirds. So, you know, now that these other Chinese companies are are developing micro four thirds cameras and uh, uh, sensor packages together, you know, and they're obviously using a Sony platform chip with, you know, a back end that's probably uh, from a mobile processor of some kind, you know, that all put together, like what, what do they really have to do? They have to design an industrial package for it. They have to, Mm Uh, pretend like they came up with their own firmware and steal some from someone else and then <laughs> attach that to a touch interface that's really sexy and, and uh, easy to use. And I think they're almost there already with some of their other stuff. I would I would bet you that this is at least as good or better than the Z1 action cam that I'm using mm-hmm. right now. Now, there are some questions to this. No idea, you know, what the HDMI output is on this thing at all. Uh, you know, is it going to record for more than 29 minutes in, in you know, 0.99 seconds? Right. Is, is there going to be any of those things? I don't think so. I would guess that those get overlooked and they're okay, but uh, there isn't a lot of interface on this guy either. Uh, so, you know, what are you going to do with it? You can't get audio into this, obviously. Uh, no, no. And and the the 4K, I think, is more of a selling point than anything else. I, I don't think they – there's no one's imagining using this as their go-to camera uh, the same way that um, – you know, with our GH3s and GH4s and A7Ss and things like that that are a little bit more built for doing that kind of work. So I, I don't think there's any anybody who's thinking, hey, this could be my 4K camera. Uh, but I think it's one of those that uh, this is kind of for hobbyist photographers or somebody who wants a really small package camera uh, that they can still do interchangeable lenses with. And my gosh, the even though the lenses seem pretty cheap, um, it looks like some high-performance lenses that come with it. Uh, you've got the zoom, which is kind of your slow 3.5 to 5.6 F zoom. Uh, but they do also have a prime too, which seems what's the price difference, like a hundred bucks. Yeah. It's pretty affordable that both of these lenses are super affordable. So, I mean, like, I I think it's for hobbyists or beginners or people like that who are also like, Hey, you know what? I could shoot a video of this real quick. And yeah, it's got a crappy onboard mic and you know, that's that, but still, um, you, you seem to get a whole lot of camera for very little, and I think that's really the main selling point, uh, which is most of Yi's stuff, um, as we'll see with uh, how GoPro compares with Yi and all that. You know, I'm going to jump around in the notes since you mentioned GoPro and, uh, <laughs> and skip over Canon for now. And let's take a look at the Hero 5, uh, which is the black edition here. It, this was just announced pretty... I don't, I don't want to say lackluster because they're doing a lot of good stuff. But when I was reading through the specs on this, it's like, oh, wow, guys, you really followed the Yi 4K action cam pretty well. Uh, you added <laughs> a nice touchscreen on the back. Uh, you finally added uh, digital image stabilization inside. Uh, you know, everything else looks about the same, except now it's more in line with the session and that you can, uh, you know, dive underwater with it and uh, go down to 33 feet without a case around it. 
what do you think about this first of all and then secondly let's talk about price 399 is the intro price for the hero 4 black edition is that very competitive considering all the things that are coming out right now um i would say so um as i've said before with uh the 4k Yi camera when it came out is i said it is a lot less but there are sacrifices being made here um if you really want to dive down of what we do know um the differences between the two cameras is uh while they both have wi-fi and the touch screen and everything else um i imagine the gopro still not going to match the yi on battery life just because there is more features uh things like an always listening microphone and stuff like that will start to eat into battery a little bit um but the big thing you get with the gopro is you get the pro tune um you get a uh, you usually get a bit more control over white balance and things like that. And the GoPro lets you crop the sensor. And that's something the Yi doesn't let you do. You can go narrow. You can do a medium shot. You, uh, they both have wides and, I guess, super wides. Uh, but that's something else, too, is the GoPro is doing a little bit of post-processing on that stuff. Now the GoPro is having a de-warp mode, uh, which they don't expressly say if that'll work in 4K or not. I imagine it won't. Um, and then their internal image stabilization I haven't been able to find it anywhere, but I imagine it's going to be just like the Yi, where it only works at 1080p or lower, and you're not going to get that digital image stabilization at the 4K resolution. Now, there is one stipulation, and I might have misread this, but uh, when I was going through all the uh, press releases from GoPro, it seemed as though you could still capture in 4K, but because it was recording the position information you could go to stabilization and post at a 1080p image. So you could capture 4K regardless and then stabilize afterwards simply based on the rotational and position data that's gathered as the camera's filming, uh, which is uh, an upgrade compared to the E4K action cam, which, sure. uh, you know, it does that on the fly at 1080p, but it, it is on the fly. So uh, you're sacrificing the option to record 4K. <sighs> Is that enough, though? I mean, I posted in the show notes here and looking at it, there are a number of cameras now. Uh, Sony just announced the FDR-X3000, a, a name that just great rolls name. off of the top of your tongue. <laughs> Love you, Sony. It's so great. 399 and this thing has 4K uh, sensor image stabilization, which is the 5-axis moving sensor uh, to take care of image stabilization, which means you get stabilization at 4K as well as any of the other uh, video settings that are available for this guy. That's the same price. And it's also, you know, you don't have to have a special case to go underwater with it. And then we have the E 4K action cam, which is uh, 249. And mm-hmm. arguably, and I agree with you, Devin, the image quality for the Hero 4 Black Edition uh, in my testing has been a little bit better than the E 4K action cam, but not so much as to say like, oh, man. Uh, you know, if you have $400, you should definitely spend it on that. No, no. Right. I would say spend it on the Yi and uh, the money you save will buy you accessories, cases, you know, extra batteries. Uh, maybe take your wife out to dinner because she's hungry <laughs> for some good food and well, you can and, film it. And the other thing that's being sold with the uh, GoPro uh, Hero 5 as well as the new session, because they do have a session which includes the high bit rate. Uh, they call it the Session 5, which has the same high bit rate, does the 4K shooting, um, and has, of course, the waterproof that the old session had and everything else. I think it's just kind of lacking uh, a few of the pro features, obviously the touchscreen and everything else, but does say it includes that image stabilization as well in the session, and that's $100 cheaper. Um, but I, really, what the reason to spend more would be kind of, I know it sounds weird, but if you're part of that uh, GoPro lifestyle, in terms of the new GoPro quadcopter that came out and gimbal and support system and everything else, because that new GoPro drone is only for the three top cameras, uh, which is your Hero 5, I think the Session 5, and the 4. So you're talking about this guy right here. I am talking about the GoPro Karma. Yeah, the Karma. Strange name. Uh, yeah, I, when I saw that, I thought I misread it. I thought it was like the Camara or something cool, but it's <laughs> Karma. Really, guys? Uh, yeah, so what's the price on this? About 1100 bucks with a GoPro? Does that sound right? I thought, oh, with a GoPro? Yes. I think without a GoPro, it comes in at $800. Uh, that's, that's not bad. I mean, 
Remember the days when a a quadcopter would set you back somewhere in the range of three thousand dollars for the early, you know, yeah. early systems. Now looking at this on B and H, Devin is absolutely right. This is if I can actually click on show <laughs> notes, which for some reason is frozen up. I did on update me. the show notes without telling him, so that's my fault. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for some reason, it wasn't letting me switch. But here is the Karma. Yeah, uh, uh, basically eleven hundred dollars. Uh, and that includes a uh, Black Edition uh, Hero 5, which, I mean, that means that the quadcopter is really only, what, about 450 bucks or 500 bucks? And I, No, I can do math here. Yeah, you D- can. Don't let me lie to you. It's $600. That would be <laughs> the difference between the... F- no, it's $700. I am not doing good today. <laughs> what is wrong with me? Yeah, so $700 difference, that's still a pretty affordable price for the quad yeah. copter. And then on top of that, if I read this correctly, uh, can't you remove the stabilization platform off of this and use it similar to what the uh, DJI Osmos or Osmo? Absolutely. So uh, what they're doing with the Karma is they're kind of selling a system, and that system includes the quad copter and includes the gimbal, uh, mechanically as it is that uh, three two motor gimbal and then it's also including a handle to allow you to detach that gimbal and use it elsewhere compatible with all the GoPro mounts and everything else uh, so you're really getting like quite a lot uh, it's coming in at a very aggressive price point which I wouldn't expect from GoPro but it's saying that we have this snap together system where first off the quadcopter folds up its wings, folds up its landing gear, and it's super flat, unlike a lot of quadcopters. So the backpack is actually like a normal size backpack. It doesn't look like you have a turtle shell going on. Uh, and But then at the same time, you just uh, snap off the gimbal, snap it into a handle, and now you can run around with a handheld gimbal. You can attach that to your backpack or, you know, your surfboard, whatever you're doing. I saw people using it out while surfing, so I'm assuming the handheld gimbal part is somewhat waterproof. Possibly, huh. uh, maybe splash proof. I mean, they didn't explicitly say it, but in their promo, they show a lot of water around the handheld <laughs> gimbal. So I'm assuming that they're like trying to market it as like, yeah, this thing is like pretty good, especially if your uh, Hero 5 already has that waterproof ability. So uh, you, you do get a lot. Uh, the one thing, though, is because it's GoPro, it's only going to work with GoPro products. And that's, you know, good and bad. The fact you can snap it all together when you're remotely controlling the drone, you're getting the feed from the GoPro. Unlike some drones where you don't necessarily get the feed from the GoPro, you have to set up a second camera, um, as well as uh, the ability to control it and have all of that just ability, the way it all works together. And I mean, we're kind of talking like Apple products here where, hey, when you buy all the Apple products, they work really well together. It's like, yeah, I hope so. But um, that's something to consider too. So while, yeah, like the Yi is cheaper, uh, if you want a totally nice, cool, snap-together package of gimbal and quadcopter, then you need to get a GoPro anyways. So, I, and I think GoPro is smart to kind of expand outward because everyone's taking advantage of their cameras in all these different situations, and GoPro needs to jump on board and start being like, well, we're a first-party product. Let us give you a first-party drone. Well, ironically, uh, the company that we were just talking about, Yi, uh, also at Photokina announced this guy, which is is basically the same concept. I mean, it's their their Yi 4K action cam uh, on a tricopter instead of a quadcopter with mm-hmm. pretty much, uh, you know, a carbon fiber rotors up to 75 miles per hour top speed. I, I don't know if I'm brave enough to fly a drone. That's, <laughs> That's that kind of crazy. But I mean... Uh, it's it, way faster than uh, the GoPro because I'm pretty sure most of your Phantoms and the GoPro will probably hit maybe 35 to 40 miles an hour. Yeah, and this thing isn't uh, isn't really crazy. You know, the 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 Karma can fold up, and uh, right. this guy is actually sort of just a, a stationary uh, piece. But uh, I'm guessing they'll come in with some crazy low price on this as well, and then sure. it'll be very attractive. I don't know what's going to happen to GoPro, and, and even Sony's doing a really good job right now with their you know again i complain about the name but the 3000x fdr whatever uh, that action camera the sensor system that's used in that is the same sensor that's basically being delivered across the board for all of these action cams and uh, you know in many tests the sony 4k action camera and the 
Kiro action cameras have been neck and neck for image quality, and they've always been the top of the herd. Uh, you know, Sony's ahead of them as far as technology goes with the, you know, uh, moving the sensor, the five-axis image stabilization versus digital stuff. Uh, you think GoPro is going to kind of give up on these next, you know, this next session, so to speak, of cameras and, and start moving heavily towards software as opposed to hardware and let these other companies kind of uh, fight for the little scraps and pieces of the action market? It, it, it could go in that direction. Um, I think what's definitely clear from GoPro's marketing uh, over the past couple of days has been they're trying to sell an entire package. Uh, I mean, now with including, uh, we didn't throw it in the show notes, but uh, a GoPro cloud subscription where when you plug in your Hero 5 to charge it, it automatically jumps on the Wi-Fi and starts uploading its videos to its cloud. So then when you jump on your mobile device, your laptop, whatever, you can start editing that footage. I'm assuming virtually through the cloud, you'd edit the footage. Uh, that is... Uh, GoPro is trying to sell this whole like really easy way to make your awesome GoPro videos. And so they're trying to sell it as a lifestyle. They're buy our GoPro cameras to capture it, use our GoPro software to edit it. Um, and, and I, they, they've always kind of tried to keep a social thing up and I think they've done a pretty good co- uh, job for a company that's mostly doing action cameras and is mostly hardware based. Uh, but them getting uh, the Cineform codec and breaking that open, and then their software hasn't been you know bad. There's nothing wrong with their software. I know a few people who edit using the GoPro Studio, um, and uh, they're putting it all together to make this lifestyle of uh, from you going on your trip to you sharing it with all your friends, GoPro's going to carry you through that. And I think that that's where they see their future in their market is trying to like orchestrate this entire thing uh, kind of like a Apple in a way of, you know, Hey, your Apple phone with your Apple contacts will work on your Apple computer and all that kind of stuff in your iPad and sync it all together. Um, so this isn't a new concept. Uh, but I think GoPro is trying to do that because that's something they can grab a hold of where you don't necessarily get that from someone like Yi or something like that, where it's like, Hey, uh, here is, uh, the GoPro camera or, uh, here's your Yi action camera and that's it. Yeah. I don't know if that's an attractive enough option, though, to bring people in. You always think you want those cloud services, and then when you get them, you're like, what do I do with this? You know, a number of times you've almost talked me into that whole edit and share system that you like using. And (laughs) and in the end, I end up going right back to Hangouts and simply sharing my screen and doing the work the old-fashioned way. And I always think I want something like that. I always think I need the next... uh, you know, computer intelligent AI system to go through my stuff for me and make the best <laughs> cuts. But uh, when I'm done, I'm like, well, I, you know, I actually want to do this myself. And right, uh, and you know, the subscription based stuff gets so freaking expensive. I, they nickel and dime you to death. I'm looking at my own bank account right now and realizing that I have 15 or so subscriptions from a dollar all the way up to nine dollars a pop. And you know, I might as well have cable. I haven't had cable in years, but I'm, <laughs> I'm spending a hundred and some dollars. A month between my Adobe subscription and uh, you know a couple of podcasts I contribute to and, and a, a number of other things that I subscribe to, including uh, and I'm actually did I tell you I finally got rid of my uh, my Google Drive subscription? What I didn't have. Okay, so here's the pro tip for you guys out there, and this is not camera related, but uh, I'm going to throw it in there anyway. If you write over 200 reviews for restaurants, you can get a one terabyte subscription for free from Google Drive. And I went ahead and sat down while I was sick one day and also while I was on the plane and uh, while I was sitting at the airport and while I was on a layover. And I cranked out as many reviews as I could of restaurants and bars and so <laughs> on. And, you know, pushed, pushed it over the limit, made it to the 200 mark, and now, bam, one terabyte of free G Drive space for life. So that saves me nice. two bucks a month because I'm a cheapskate. Uh, there you go. I don't know if it was worth the work. Now, speaking of worth the work, Canon has been trying for ages to create a mirrorless camera that does not suck. Uh, they have, they have, they've failed many times. And finally, you know, after several attempts, and don't get me wrong, the EOS M was a great affordable film camera and an okay to sub-okay 
photography tool, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. The main reason that it was attractive is because it basically, uh, once it got Magic Lantern enabled, you got some video features out of it, and it dropped right. down on the used and new market because it was such an unpopular camera to like 200 bucks. So at that price, it did become a very compelling you know, film tool uh, for 1080p recording with a APS-C sensor. Well, now Canon is jumping in again, and this time... You know, I can't complain as much because look at this, guys. A 24.2 megapixel APS-C sensor, uh, a Digic 7 processor, which is keeping up with all the things in Canon's lineup, uh, a 2.36 megapixel or mega dot EVF, which that's pretty good. Uh, not quite as good as the 3 point or the 2.8 you're getting out of some of its competitors. Uh, full 1080p recording, a little bit behind the curve. Uh, this has also got image stabilization, and basically it looks to be a very similar sensor to what the rest of the APS-C line has. Uh, and, of course, the, the strange 5-axis image stabilization included on this? What? Canon hasn't given this to any other, other cameras? It's missing from the 5D Mark IV, and this guy is going to price in at about $1,000? What do you think, Devin? I mean, I just spewed out a mouthful it, of specs. It, yeah, you did. It was it was a whole page of specs. Um, <laughs> one I, well, by one, once again, in order. If if you like Canon and you're part of the Canon camp, uh, then I think it makes sense. But um, that mirrorless format, uh, what's it called? Is it called Canon M? Yeah, is that it's what a, uh, M is their format. So EOS M is the EOS lens M. type. And, and so it's just, I, I think they've been, haven't they been like kind of slowly expanding that lens lineup and everything else too? I just don't think there's a lot of adapters for EOS M, is there? Well, okay. So first of all, let's back up. There are about, and somebody's going to quote me and then say that I was wrong and I probably am, <laughs> but there's at least off the top of the noggin, I can think of four lenses that are dedicated to the EOS M system. Uh, those lenses, uh, there's a couple of primes and a couple of zooms as far as I know. Uh, but, uh, the pinout for the mirrorless version of these cameras is pretty much the same for the sensor interface as it is for the regular, uh, EOS lenses, the EF and the EF, uh, uh, EFS lenses. So you can basically use an adapter that just has electrical internally. It's a very cheap adapter, maybe $20, $40 on the used, you know, on the uh, third party market uh, to flange out to any of Canon's cameras. And then all of them are compatible. Autofocus, everything is all 100%, no issue. Uh, the flange distance, again, is also very similar to what you get out of a A7S uh, Mark II, Mark I, uh, any of the other mirrorless cameras. So adapting any manual focus lenses is pretty easy on this guy um if it's anything like the eos m which this is the exact same uh flange distance and platform you can put fd lenses on here for god's sakes and 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 utilize the aps-c sensor which fd lenses while they're radioactive and will probably give me brain cancer in the future uh they're super affordable right <laughs> no that's that's a good point then uh it, you know what um, it doesn't seem like that bad of an offering, though, uh, you know, I don't have uh, any kind of native glass for anything like that. So it'd be hard for me to ever jump ship into that camp um, just because unlike an Olympus or a Panasonic or some of these Chinese manufacturers coming out with other cameras, uh, I don't have much of a collection that goes into uh, an EOS M. Um, as well as I don't have a lot of Canon glass to adapt either. Though I imagine if I had more Canon glass, it'd be something to consider if you want a small, uh, you know, compact mirrorless package. Um, so no, I don't think it's, I, it just doesn't seem to be unique. I mean, all the specs you've read is the kind of specs we saw from mirrorless cameras uh, last year. So it doesn't really seem to be any sparking any kind of uh, inspiration to run out and buy it. Now, I guess the competition here, uh, the camera we were mentioning, uh, hot, uh, a hot topic, uh, the, <laughs> the A6300, uh, that would be probably right across the board in price range, sensor size, and so on. Uh, but it, it offers advanced features like 4K internal recording. And uh, do you know what the audio interface or any of that is going on with this camera? Because... I didn't see anything in the notes I was looking at uh, for this. Uh, I mean, they mentioned video, but do we actually get a, a headphone jack? I don't believe you do. 
don't, don't quote me on that. But I'm looking I, right now at the specs. Anybody in the chat room didn't. wants to jump in and uh, give this information up, that would be it, it, it awesome. has a microphone jack. It doesn't have headphones. Yeah, that's what I thought. So yeah, so you're in the same boat as the A6300 as far as recording. Right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's a weird camera. Uh, for stills, like uh, the, I, I can tell you right now that the uh, dual pixel AF detect system that's in the 5D Mark IV that I've got right here actually does a very good job it's it's very usable the touchscreen system is also very nice uh, if this works anything like that i would say that this would probably be the best af system that they've had on any of their eos m cameras to date uh, previously that was one of the big issues with the original eos m and eos m2 is the af system was just a big flaming pile of hot manure <laughs> that was almost useless. Uh, yeah. This thing, I don't know. I, I like it. I like the idea of it, but it, it seems like it's two years too late, maybe three years too late. Does that sound yeah. right, Devin? There's nothing inspiring about it. It's it's l- kind of the same specs we've seen for the past couple of years. I mean, if it said 4K, that'd be something different. Even though it's not a video camera, it does have a microphone input. If it said 4K, that would be interesting. That'd be an option. Uh, but saying, hey, we've got 1080p at 60, um, you know, nine frames a second on a mirrorless camera seems slow to me. I could be wrong, but that feels a little slow. Um, it just, it has that inbuilt stabilization that the Sony does. And it feels like this is the camera they were building before Sony released their camera. And now they're like, well, we went through all this R&D. Let's release it and just try to recoup some of the cost. <laughs> poor, poor, poor Canon. Uh, I'm not going to rag on this at all, guys, because it, it is in concept at least a, a pretty decent uh, design and build. But, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be a lot of anger floating around with this particular body. Now, let's move on to two things that didn't make it into the last show. If you guys were trying to watch that one, it fell apart pretty fast when Google Hangouts kicked us out. We had two things left we were going to talk about. And one is a new lens. And actually, now that I'm bringing this up, uh, there's tons of lenses coming out of Phonokina, as well as two other cameras, which I'll probably save for the Mitch show coming up here on Friday. But uh, we will ignore knowledge that olympus did announce a new camera as well as fuji so those are out there uh this lens though uh 3500 basically your standard uh eng zoom lens devin does this you know does this get you hot in your pants uh a little bit because i imagine using it with uh something like um uh, an fs5 or fs7 uh, having that servo-powered zoom is useful when you're doing documentary work and you're actually going to be rolling footage while you're zooming and changing composition. Um, of course, it's super pricey. Uh, but then again, uh, with the large range on this, I guess considering it almost a, a super zoom, uh, this is kind of built for people who spend a lot of money because they're only going to carry one lens on their camera for the entire shoot, uh, more or less. So... Um, I understand this or that part of it, but for the most part, for me, it's uh, it's exciting. I really like it. Uh, I'd want to hold one and try it out and see what it's like to shoot in the field because it definitely feels like this thing is built to be stuck onto Sony's video cameras. So for photography purposes, I don't know. But <laughs> it, uh, for video purposes, I feel like this would be a great thing to pair with one of those Sony cameras. Now, $3,500, you could probably buy... Uh, a number of good primes for that. Uh, people, okay, so this is one thing I want to talk about really quick while we're looking at the Zoom. You mentioned uh, ENG and documentary work. Uh, sure. I'm always accused, people tell me, well, when do you actually need a Zoom, DJ? You know, uh, do you really use a Zoom? Is, is a Zoom even necessary? And I always come up with a lot of excuses, but I shoot a lot of narrative stuff where mm-hmm. I'm telling a story and, you know, a, a little bit of subtle movement with the camera when you can't actually slide it around, uh, emphasize this stuff. Uh, Devin, in news, when are you zooming in and out? Are you really going in and out crazy all the time? Or is it like somebody on the other end gets you on the radio and says, hey, I need a close up <laughs> of this shot and they cut away and then they cut back to you? Uh, it's, it's usually the later, uh, there are times when you do, it really depends on the format, um, whether, whatever style you're doing the documentary in or whatever style the news station is. Cause there is slightly different styles to news. I know people make fun of it cause a lot of it, it seems to be very cookie cutter, but there are kind of different styles. Um, and so sometimes one of the shots will be like, you'll be zoomed in 
on um, the, uh, a logo of a company and the reporter will start talking about it and you'll pull out and pan over to the reporter. That's an old school uh, news trick to kind of establish the location and get the reporter in the same shot and you can do it live. Um, so there's a lot of that. But as well, you don't have time to switch lenses. Um, if for whatever reason, the way you've set up your camera, the podium ends up just getting picked up and moved back 20 feet for some reason, uh, you need to be able to punch in and still get the shot. So it's more just having the availability of that full focal range. Uh, but there are a few times where creatively a motorized zoom uh, can really come in handy uh, to push in or pull out slowly uh, to establish certain things. Um, I've even in studio use, uh, we use it a lot of the time, especially anything where there's a lot of camera movement. Like if you throw a camera on a jib, doing zooms on a jib and everything else adds a lot of production value. looks really cool. A lot of people like doing it. So, uh, like I said, it's usually more the later it's that convenience factor where I don't have time to switch lenses. I need to be able to, uh, uh correct my shot in less than a second. And you're never going to do that with a lens change. So it becomes really important for that. And documentary work, uh, you may be like focusing in on someone doing an interview and then a gunshot goes over to your right and you need to go to a wide. Like things like that that are happening in the moment you can't predict. And so a zoom just makes so much more sense in those environments. Um, obviously, there's a few ways you use it in narrative. You know, Hitchcock has used zooms and stuff like that. So it's not like it, it, you, you look like an idiot for using zooms in narrative work. And sometimes it can help you to move the production faster and saving money is part of you know getting the production done under budget so i'm kind of one of those guys where i'll i'll be shooting something with a zoom and i don't really i don't do the dramatic zoom in or zoom out but i like just a subtle amount of motion as you're going and that Mm -hmm. it sort of makes the shot feel like something's going on Uh, and i prefer that far more to the whole like i'm gonna go handheld and shake the crap out of my camera and make this look like (laughs) junk now, well, last question on this lens. Uh, I assume something like this would be parafocal, right? Uh, yeah, that's that's what, while I didn't strictly say it, um, pretty much all the specs I've checked out and all the use case and everything else, this doesn't have like, you know, where the, the iOS, uh, uh, the iris steps down as you zoom in and out and all that kind of crazy stuff. It's It seems to really be built like a proper ENG lens that um, you can zoom into, zoom out of, uh, minimal breathing, uh, parafocal, maintaining focus all the way. So a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, cause that's part of it too. A lot of people don't realize like when you zoom in on a lens, um, it's a very small thing that most people don't care about and don't notice, but some zooms don't even zoom into the middle of the frame. They zoom slightly off. Um, and when you've, uh, of course, like when you focus, that'll change your zoom on some cheaper DSLR lenses. Of course, like Canon L glass tends to not have these problems. It tends to be very well put together. And like you said, it's really, expensive for this glass but keep in mind that this glass is built for 4k and consider the cost of a 5d and a 24 to 70 canon l series like the newest version if you're to buy it new out of the box and you're kind of looking at the same price of like an fs5 and this lens so more or less Mm. like give or take a thousand or two thousand but yeah that's a fair uh, argument considering yeah so it's like it's not outrageous for the lens to be priced like this um, a lot of your old school ENG lenses, B4 mount, uh, bayonet mount that w- you would use on your big shoulder rigs and everything else, those are usually going anywhere from a thousand bucks for standard definition lenses, uh, which are a bit fuzzy, uh, to if you want uh, talking 4K lenses, you can spend all the way up to $20,000 on those kinds of lenses that are super zooms that go from like four millimeter to like a hundred millimeter with a, you know, a two X or built into them and all kinds of stuff. So, um, it's not outrageous. This is actually, uh, I think, really well priced for the kind of glass you're getting. It would be funny to see this on an A7S, uh, <laughs> considering the size of this lens. Uh, but I think really what they're, they're like, hey, you want to use your FS700 or FS7 or FS5 for news work? This is the lens you get. I took the uh, A7S Mark II out on a shoot uh, on Friday, I think maybe Saturday. But uh, I had a uh, 70 to 200 IS F2.8 on it. And it was like, uh, the camera doesn't get the lens. The lens gets the camera. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of that yeah. awkward bit where you realize that you're you're basically, you don't need to put your camera on a tripod. You just put the lens on a tripod and go. Right. Uh, and a, a small note, too, because uh, we were talking about lenses. We didn't have this in the show notes because it's not a story. But uh, Panasonic says they're going to release a new 12 to 35 and 35 to 100. Uh, and that's why the prices have been dropping on those. So really, if you've been in the market for those 
pieces of glass uh, like I have, it may be a good time to pick them up in the next couple of months. Probably they'll release it with the GH5 next year is what I'm assuming. I was a little disparaging of the uh, uh, 12 to 35 from Panasonic, and it's only because the Olympus lens is made so well, and then when you hold on to the Panasonic, it's like holding on to a plastic toy. Uh, Olympus does a great job, but the, the latest Panasonic lenses, uh, that 15-millimeter F1.7, I think, that I, I picked up recently, uh, they're made a lot better than they used to be, a lot less plasticky, a lot better uh, thought process in the design. I would love to see Panasonic incorporate the whole click to manual focus into their lenses because that's one of the things that I love about uh, the Olympus uh, 7 to 14 that I'm actually shooting on right now. Uh, it's really handy to just reach over and you know change focus like that as opposed to fly by wire. Hopefully that's something they do in the, these updated <laughs> lenses. I didn't see that announced though. Uh, the other one... Uh, Actually, I'm going to stay away from lens announcements because there yep. are so many of them. Save it. We just, I'll save it for the <laughs> next show. Uh, last thing on the list, Devin, before we get out of here, let's talk about this. This is less exciting for me than maybe, I don't know if it's even exciting for you, but it's in the show notes, so we're going to talk about it anyway. Uh, <laughs> basically, uh, some updates are coming to uh, the Atomos. Uh, how is, I never pronounce this right. Atomos, Atomos, Atomos. Yeah, Atomos, I think, maybe. Maybe. Something like yeah, that. It doesn't know, matter. The guys that make the ninja, the karate, the knife blade, <laughs> the sharp weapon, you know, all those karate sounding names, uh, they're updating their 4K recorder. Uh, what's going on with this? Uh, well, HDR is, um, uh, I mean, you can get really technical with it, but it, I think really what it comes down to is it's, kind of like just getting 10-bit as a video display. Uh, so you get a lot more dynamic range, you get a lot more contrast, and I see this definitely being, you know, after 4K, everyone's talking about 6K TVs, 8Ks, and everything else, but we know 4K content has been dragging its feet uh, because it's expensive and big and everything else, and 6K and 8K content probably won't be coming for uh, at least a little while. I really see the next innovation um, because I don't really see 3D TVs getting you know much more market share than they already have, is HDR, which means TVs and computer monitors that are 10-bit. This used to be like exclusive for color correction monitors and all kinds of stuff uh, for people who worked film and whatnot, but uh, it's bringing that, uh, that contrast level uh, much closer to what you could get in the cinema in terms of uh, detail and information. And what's kind of cool, and this is why things like the GH5 having 10-bit 422 color is so important, uh, is because, um, as Atomos recognizes it, HDR uh, is going to be kind of the future of displays, at least I think so, and I, I could be totally wrong, but I think that's kind of going to be the next thing that starts picking up steam because it's the most easy to implement. And if you have 10-bit coming out of your camera, then you can record HDR because it's, like I said, it, it gets technical, but uh, basically same thing. It gives you enough thing. dynamic range to work with. Yeah, it gives you enough dynamic storage. range that you make it a format out of it. So uh, th this is a free update, which is great. So if you have an Atomos, uh, one of the ones in the list that's compatible, you can throw HDR. Now you can record HDR footage uh, and start editing with it and working with it. And I just, I wanted to take a moment just to say, yeah, um, this is something to look out for. Cause I really think this is going to start showing up in people's living rooms sooner than 6k, 8k, uh, or anything like that. Will now I haven't heard a lot of news about the black magic, uh, 4k capture monitor in recent months. I heard some people complaining that uh, it wasn't compatible with DCI. Uh, have they added any kind of HDR uh, functionality to the competition, basically? Or do you know, Devin? Because you can't keep track of Blackmagic more than I do. No, no, I can't. Um, as far as I know, no. Uh, I haven't seen any update notes or anything like that uh, concerning uh, DCI formats and whatnot. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, DCI is kind of a hard thing to hit. I know things like the GH4 are like, hey, we have a cinema 4K, uh, which is the resolution of DCI, but actually like packaging your film per se to go uh, into festivals or something like that under the DCI format. Uh, I've never done it before. I just know that it's a pretty complicated process and there's a lot of hiccups along the way because they're very stingy about that format. Ah, uh, 
Okay, I just wondered. I'm, I have to look back into that. I, I saw the, the use price of those dropping down to like 600 bucks. And I was trying to talk myself into it. I'm like, yeah, that's a, <laughs> nice, that's a decent monitor. I, could, I, yeah. I need one of those probably. Why don't I buy one? No, no, <laughs> don't buy that, DJ. You don't need that. Right. Uh, all right. So that's pretty much it for the news this week, or this episode. Devin, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? <laughs> no, I got to get back to editing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I, I probably should get back to work, too. Uh, I've got the bathroom door ripped off right now, and I'm uh, um, I'm lacquering it. I sanded it down and doing this beautiful thing. But it also means there's only one bathroom in the house, and uh, it's right by my bedroom. <laughs> so my wife gets to walk by as I'm mm-hmm. using the restroom. I'm not going to get too descriptive, but it's unpleasant <laughs> for her, and uh, it means a less of an evening life for me, so to speak. I won't elaborate right. on that. Uh, <laughs> guys, we love having you. I like this new chat thing. It's really nice to actually be able to keep up with the chat. So that is very cool. Uh, thanks, everybody that watches the show live. Uh, be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell us what you think. Leave questions in the comment section on YouTube. We read those. We check them out on a regular basis. And, you know, don't forget to hound me if I forget to put up show notes or, or correct me if we get stuff wrong. Devin and I, as well as Mitch and I, do this kind of on the fly between work and other jobs. So... We really appreciate you guys, and hopefully you can put up with the occasional mistake as we make them scrolling through here. Now, Devin, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, at DevoCut. I welcome all comments and any conversation. And, of course, guys, you can find me at TSLRFilmNoob.com, at DSLRFilmNoob on Twitter, and you can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are distributed, including SoundCloud, iTunes, and other places probably i don't know where they're at though so tell me if you find it thanks for listening thanks for watching and we'll see you next time on another episode of dslr film noob podcast